to support the policy of the government, especially policy on making distant social distancing, and also uh, to restrict the movement of the people in the public area. Now, the Tulama, for instance, the largest Muslim organization in Indonesia, since the beginning of the COVID-19 in Indonesia, already issued a fatwa for the Muslim people in order not to organize and hold prayers in mosques and also in other public area. Not only Nahdlatul Ulama, Muhammadiyah, the second largest of Muslim organization in Indonesia, also issued a similar fatwa. They are persuading their people, their members, yeah, not to go for, let's say, celebrating the Idul Fitri and also doing prayers in the mosque or in public area. Majelis Ulama Indonesia, Council of Indonesian Ulama also issued a fatwa that all Muslim people should stay at home and make social distancing. This is, I think, the evidence of the role of Indonesian Muslim organization and indicate, indicate that they want to participate and to have rule in combating the COVID-19. So far, they are still committed to support the policy of the government of Indonesia to combat the, the COVID-19. Has it been always the case uh, that religious leaders, uh, you mentioned before, uh, some really big, big organizations such as Naidatul Ulama and also Muhammadiyah, has it always been the case that they've uh, been supportive of the government's um, restrictions and policies since the beginning of the pandemic at the beginning of the year, Mas? Because, you know, we heard news reports uh, at the beginning that you know, some religious leaders, uh, you know, did not believe in COVID-19 and actually uh, were still encouraging, for instance, for um, Muslims uh, to go to Friday Friday prayers and to uh, congregate for pengajian, which is, uh, you know, the the, the small, um, what's pengajian bahasa Inggrisnya apa ya, mas? Pengajian itu? Mm, public uh, sermon. Uh, yeah, and uh, and going to public sermons, etc. Um, did it take much convincing from the government to uh, finally to get uh, religious leaders to support their policies? Usually, but officially speaking, I think almost all organizations, including Front Pembela Islam, uh, Islamic Defender Fronts, in the co- in the beginning of, of COVID nineteen Indonesia, all of them officially speaking, agreed for the policy of the government about social distancing, closing the mosque, and etc. But some, you know, uh, there is always a group within uh, organization that have different point of view or different view regarding the danger of the COVID-19. Within Nahdlatul Ulama, for instance, some leader of the Pesantren Islamic Boarding School, even Nahdlatul Ulama officer already issued about uh, banning uh, doing uh, Friday prayer in the mosque, but there are still some 
leaders of the pesantren, some leaders of local organization, and also some local ulama or kiais are still performing Friday prayer in the mosque. Yeah. So we should differentiate between the official uh, stance of a Muslim organization and reality of the members or their members, whether or not they obey to the fatwa of their organization. Because, you know, the rule of uh, Muslim organization are only, uh, how to say, uh, persuading only uh, giving the members to be aware of. They don't have some kind of uh, measure to uh, force their members to follow their fatwa. This is actually the, 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 the problem. And if you, uh, let's say, uh, see uh, the role of religious leaders, from uh, official perspective, I think all of them support and agree about how to combat effectively the spread of COVID-19. But in reality, if we see from the member perspective, I think not all members of organization can agree and follow the fatwa of their organization. This is the problem. And in this regard, I think the government should fulfill the gap yeah, between the official statement of Muslim organization and the reality of the member of the Muslim organization to follow the policy of the government. This is like a very interesting, uh, an interesting topic that that actually, if you sort of dissect it a bit more, there are different layers here that also involves uh, tricky negotiations and uh, and and identity politics as well, and and sometimes. Uh, you know, revealing cracks in um, the 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 government's uh, ability, the Jokowi government's ability to um, get various uh, religious and mass organizations, such as the FPI or the Islamic Defenders Front, to um, actually get on board with their policies. Right? Like I'm thinking here, uh, just a few weeks ago, actually, when the uh, leader of the FPI, Rizik Shihab, when he returned from Saudi Arabia uh, and uh, generating uh, tens of thousands of his followers to greet him in the airport. And then uh, also the, the wedding of his daughter um, a, a few days later that, you know, that attracted you know, over 20,000 people. And the Indonesian government uh, was criticized for not doing enough to actually stopping uh, such a mass uh, event that could have been a, and, and it was um, a spreader event. Um, and, the, and the Jokowi government was accused of, you know, of being too weak there and too scared um, to uh, defy the FPI. Um, what, what do you think about cases like that, Mas? Uh, should the government have been stronger in, in preventing um, events like this that you know, very clearly um, uh, breaks um, movement restriction orders? This is very interesting for the case of Front Tumbila Islam uh, or FPI. <clears throat> Because in the beginning of the COVID-19 emergence in Indonesia, I think FBI 
especially Rizik Sihab, announced and also demands to the government to apply lockdown. Right. General lockdown. Whole lockdown for whole Indonesia. This is the statement given by Rizik Sihab in the beginning of COVID-19 uh, spread in Indonesia. And you know, uh, some week ago, we see the reality. But this is related to what I call as identity politics, as, as you mentioned before. That because when Rizik Sihab was in exile, I think when he talks about the need of Jokowi to apply lockdown, it is because driven by his political affiliation and political opinion, which is close to the opinion of Anis Baswedan, right. the governor of Jakarta. At the time, the governor of Jakarta, let's say, secretly demands to Jokowi to apply lockdown for Jakarta. Yes. But Jokowi at the time rejected this policy. Yes, I remember and this. On the similar stance, I think Rizik Sihab, when he was in exile, he seemed to be in agreement for obeying the COVID protocol, which is in the form of doing or applying lockdown. But actually, this is not from his original point of view, but he is driven by his political mine. I guess like, you know, in, in a way, supporting at that time, and this was back in uh, April, May, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you know, demanding lockdown and supporting Anis Baswedan was uh, a part of, you know, anti-Jokowi uh, narrative, right, Mas? Like that's it became true. an act of, res of, of resistance. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, and so, but when he returned, obviously generating tens and thousands of people to congregate. So, it proves that you know that he, that actually, like you said, it was more politicking than his actual uh, willingness to combat COVID nineteen. Yeah, I think this is political uh, issues actually all, already political issue, not uh, not uh, health issue, not public health issue, uh, because if we see the uh, the the position of uh, Rizik Sihab uh, when he was in exile is different from his position when he came back to uh, to, to, to Petamburan, to, to Jakarta. Uh, and if I uh, see from different perspective, let's say from how strong the government, how strong the government, uh, how, 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 how strong of the government to uh, apply his policy, especially to enforce his policy to everybody, regardless uh, uh, their ethnicity, regardless uh, their religions. Uh, I think for the case of uh, Rizik Sihab come back to Jakarta, the government uh, policy was very weak mm. in doing enforcement law enforcement to this case and actually not only related to the 
return of Rizik Sihab, but also related to other activities in regional uh, level, not in Jakarta. Right, right. If, if you go to Central Java, East Java, West Java, there are many uh, uh, religious gathering, mm. yeah, uh, public sermon, and etc. Yeah, which are conducted in the uh, PSPP era. Right, that's What the movement restriction. By PSPP is the Parsian partial lockdown era. Right, yes. Uh, yeah. Well, we were just talking before, actually, before we started recording this podcast, uh, about how, even until now, there are only five areas in Indonesia that actually imposes uh, partial lockdowns and also uh, um, testing, uh, rapid testing requirements uh, when, mm. when people are wanting to travel, etc. And this is like five regions compared to the rest of the Indonesian archipelago, um, mm. which um, you know many um, scholars and observers are criticizing is not nearly um, enough um, in order to particularly uh, restrict people from um, traveling, visiting family, etc. during the end of the year festivities. So I guess you know it's it's the more important then that the government, Uh, actually works with religious leaders and institutions, particularly in the more rural areas like you were mentioning before, particularly outside of Java? I think the rule of religious are still working but until now. But, you know, uh, if the issue are not related with them, yeah, for instance, it is not connected with, the, uh, let's say, the religious uh, festival, uh, I think the role of religious religious leaders are not quite uh, strong uh, now. Maybe religious leader that mean religious leader of the Muslim community. Right. But yeah. for the case of December, Christmas, and etc., I think Jokowi also should persuade the uh, Christian religious leaders, either from Catholic or Protestants, uh, in order. Uh, to talk with them uh, about the importance of, uh, let's say, enforcing the COVID protocol to avoid uh, the most uh, uh, spread yeah, uh, of the COVID-19 to uh, people in the uh, region. Because usually the holidays, Christmas holiday and other holidays also, the people are coming from Uh, big city, let's say from uh, Jakarta, from uh, Bandung, from Surabaya, or from Semarang, uh, to uh, the small cities, smaller mm. cities. That's yeah? right, yes. Uh, in that respective uh, province. Right. And in this regard, I think uh, the measure of the government uh, for the travelers to do the rapid testing and exercise. This is the minimal uh, way that government of Indonesia can do it. Because they cannot also uh, reject or deny the movement of the people yeah. right now. Yeah, particularly with not official restrictions put in place. Of course, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. And yeah, and you, you're absolutely right, uh, you know, the with Christians and also Catholics uh, and, and, you know, the... 
celebrating mass on Christmas Eve, etc. But usually also um, even even non-Christians and non-Catholics would take the end of the year holidays up until New Year's Eve, etc. Um, and that will be quite difficult to uh, to manage. Do you know uh, from your experience of uh, your involvement with uh, you know educational institutions and religious organizations uh, such as Muhammadiyah? Do you know? If the uh, government, uh, in particular, perhaps the Department of Health or the or the Ministry of of Religion, are they um, actually in contact or communicating with religious institutions with um, conveying a particular uh, po- policy messages or asking for their help in trying to mitigate the effects of COVID nineteen? I think they already have done, but they already have done communicating with religious leaders to give some kind of awareness and understanding uh, for religious uh, institution. But I think what has been done by the government is not enough. You right. know, right now, until now, uh, the uh, oldest uh, uh, religious education institution, we call it Sandren. Yes. Uh, we lost because of the death of the kiai almost 250 kiais wow. big kiais big ulama right they, they yeah they died because uh, of covid-19 right they, they passed away because of covid-19 this is very sad story mm. about the weakness of our government to protect let's say some education institution that so far are marginalized but they have very big role in the national uh, education like pesantren uh, the modern school yeah belong either belong to muhammadiyah or belong to nahdlatul ulama are usually they are safer because usually they are already uh, aware of uh, the covid 19 uh, issues but for the traditional traditionalist uh, muslim uh, islamic education like uh, islamic boarding school the number of pesantren in indonesia in the whole indonesia is 25000 but mm. and they are not exposed yeah they are not exposed with the issue of covid-19 with the measure with the protocol and extra so so far they are illiterate with this case because they are illiterate with this case they are very vulnerable to be infected what do you think are the challenges here mas um, what can the government do better particularly to reach out to these more uh, localized uh, and rural uh, organizations that like as you say at the moment is still pretty illiterate in terms of how to properly uh, uh, handle themselves during the period of the pandemic what can the government do if we talk about the role of government i think we should divide the rule into two level the first one is the rule of the central government right and the second one is the rule of the regional government so we are actually in a very complicated uh, division of uh, job among these two level of the governments sometimes uh, central government is very weak in this case and uh, Uh, regional government is very strong for another case 
And sometimes the central government is very strong in one case, but regional government is very weak in some uh, cases. We should combine yeah, between the weakness and the strength uh, 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 for both central and uh, regional uh, government. I would like to give an example, for instance, about the case of the pesantren, which is actually uh, <coughs> become, uh, right now become most victimized uh, institution of education in Indonesia. Most of the, most of the pesantren are uh, located in uh, regional government, in the provincial level of uh, Indonesia, let's say in East Java, West Java, uh, Central uh, Java, and etc. So the responsibility actually belong to the uh, central, uh, to the regional government. But then the regional government have weaknesses on resource persons in communicating and also let's say if we use the term Indonesian term, in socializing mm -hmm. uh, the uh, COVID-19 uh, measure and also protocols. They, are, they have very limited resource person in doing that, not only re limited resource person, but also limited funding to do that. While the central government, they don't have very effective communication either with regional government and also with pesantren uh, uh, themselves. Right, the local institutions. So this is right. the, the, the level of uh, complexity. Yeah, This is the level of complexity, I think. Well, it, yeah, it is a it is a big task, and you know you're right. Uh, particularly when often there's a, a you know miscommunication even between the local governments uh, and the and the provincial governments, and then to the central governments, uh, like we saw um, earlier in the year when the Jakarta provincial government um, can't yeah, even be on the same page true. as the central government. This is a mm. a big issue, and uh, I guess highlights even more the importance of communicating with influential religious institutions and leaders. From mm -hmm. your opinion, Mas, I don't know um, how much comparison you've uh, done uh, between Indonesia and other countries, but if we're thinking about um, other Muslim countries um, in the Southeast Asian region, such as Malaysia, uh, such as Brunei, or even you know, with other uh, countries around the world where uh, religious institutions hold uh, an important part of society, how how does Indonesia measure? Do you think, um, in terms of you know the utilization of religious institutions in combating COVID nineteen? I think Indonesia is much more complicated than other countries. Right. Let's say if we compare with uh, Malaysia, in terms of uh, protocol and also measure of COVID nineteen, Malaysia is much more successful than Indonesia. But if you see the size of Indonesia, compare to the size of uh, Malaysia, I think we can have excuse mm. about the weakness of Indonesia to, uh, let's say, handle the COVID-19 uh, issue. We have a lot of uh, population. And if we compare to another country, let's say, to Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia is much more uh, strict and, and much more 
you know uh, successful than uh, Indonesia but politically speaking uh, Saudi Arabia applies the COVID-19 measure with the authoritarian way right meaning uh, because uh, they are uh, not democratic country mm. in our terms so uh, they can uh, enforce uh, state policy yeah to their people effectively while in indonesia you know we are still on the step of democracy and this is some people uh, some of the people say because of uh, let's say uh, the inconsistence position of the government because the government of indonesia cannot combine between the democratic way in combating the issue of covid-19 on on one hand and how the government of indonesia to make some kind of strict restrictions right yeah yeah to the people of indonesia well because like you know um critic critics of the government of the jokowi government has been saying that you know perhaps uh, there should be stricter laws such as the implementation of fines or um even you know or even jail time for um uh for not just religious leaders but for offenders of um you know restriction uh order policies etc that so far hasn't been hasn't been uh, done yet and you know it'll be interesting i think to see um what happens in the case of say Rizik Shihab that you know only a few days ago um yeah. handed himself over to the police to account for you know his breakage of the Uh, movement restriction protocols in relation to his daughter's wedding. So that's something that we're all seeing. My last question, Mas, actually has to do with uh, the COVID-19 vaccine. And I know this is uh, a new topic for us all. Uh, we, uh, even in Singapore, we're still a, a bit unsure about which um, vaccines we're going to be getting and when we're going to be getting them. But one thing that we do know in Indonesia Um, the government um, is very likely going to be getting the vaccine that has been developed by Sinovac. Um, and, you know, considering that in the past, many uh, more radical Muslim organizations have, have been quite anti-China in their perspective and also, uh, you know, very much rejecting products from uh, China with fears about, you know, halal and, and all that. Do you think there will be a uh, resistance mass against, uh, well, not just the Sinovac vaccine, but also vaccines generally when the COVID-19 vaccine does come uh, to Indonesia? What do you think? I think this is one, one of our uh, controversial issues, yeah, about the use of the vaccine. And actually, the, the issue is not only about the, the production of the vaccine, Uh, which is done by uh, uh, China companies, mm -hmm. uh, but this is related to the halalness of the vaccine, actually. Right. Yes. And uh, you know, uh, the Council of Indonesian Ulama already stated uh, that vaccine should get and pass through 
the process and the procedure of halal certification right uh, done by the council of indonesian uh, ulama and so far the vaccine the fatwa on vaccine is not yet issued by uh, majelis ulama indonesia even the sinovac vaccine is already in indonesia and according to the official statement of jokowi they will start for the vaccination around three until four weeks after the coming of the vaccine uh, in uh, Indonesia. Right. But uh, still yet, I think uh, the Council of Indonesian Ulama will issue soon about the uh, vaccine. And, and, and the fatwa would be very uh, normative, maybe. The content of the fatwa will be like, for instance, if the vaccine contains the element of pox, yeah, mm. the element of pox, so the legal ruling of the vaccine is prohibited. Right. Well, Even then, the mm. Council of Indonesia Ulama also issue a fatwa in the context of emergency the vaccine can be used. Right, okay. But in the context of emergency only. So if, if, the, if the virus, uh, illness, uh, sickness, and etc. endanger the people about to die, mm. so these people can be injected with the vaccine. Right. Yes. Yeah, and I think all 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 uh, people now are in the dangerous area, mm. yeah, because of the COVID uh, nineteen. What I want to say is that even the Council of Indonesian Ulama maybe issue about the halalness of using vaccine because of the emergency uh, context, still, still few Muslim people will reject the vaccine because they think that they cannot consume uh, the food that mm. contain or the vaccine that contain pox. Right, yes. Especially for those who are militant and radical. Right. In understanding this issue. Mas, thank you so much for enlightening us with all this information about what is uh, an important and also controversial issue. Um, this is, of course, a developing story. Um, and, you know, we, we thank you for keeping us up to date with the situation in Indonesia so far. Yeah. Talking Indonesia will return in January 2021. Remember, you can find the entire Talking Indonesia podcast archive at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog, subscribe via iTunes so you'll never miss an episode, or find us via your favorite podcasting app. Until next time, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast. See you next year.